Talk Ghosts. I'm Anvil. And I'm Jeff. And we're not Let's Talk Ghosts, we're Let's Talk It All. Yes, we are. That was Freudian a Freudian slip. slip. Freudian My slip. God. Is that show even still on the air? I believe they have retired that show. They really? But I, I think they're still going to do some reruns, shows. Some oh, okay. So they're not recording. syndication. They're not doing any new no shows. No new material. No oh. new material. So, no unfortunate. F- that is unfortunate. I, I thought they would have like a goodbye show or something. Well, you, you know. know. Shira, shira, you know. Shreela. What? Yeah. But what was that name of that TV show? That what? That TV show. It was. I was a little kid watching it, and you're older than I am, so maybe you remember. Uh, but this is back in the 80s, early 80s. Um, and they would get up on the stage at the end, and they would sing a song, and you know what the hell I'm talking about by any chance. Yeah. It's time to go. Da, 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 da. It was like a 60s theme. Muppets? No, not the Muppets. It was definitely not Kermit uh, the Frog and Miss Carol Piggy. Show. You know, Miss Piggy didn't have a frog in her throat. Carol Burnett Show. Uh, no, it wasn't Carol uh, Burnett Show. Laughing? No. They would all get up on the stage at the end and they would sing, It's time to go. Just like an old 60s type of song. Mm. All right, well, we're going to get off not that. Not the bell, but yeah. that's all right. We just wasted a minute and a half or two minutes right. talking about that. That's okay. Yeah. So, anyway, tonight, 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 this show, we are going to be looking at Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti, Skookum, Snooky, what? Skookum. Snook- oh, Skookum. Yeah, it means oh, okay, hairy Skookum. giant. Yes. Well, that's what, yeah, I thought that's what Snooky meant. Yeah, Snooky. Snooky. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and Yahoo. Another, uh, I found another name for it. Yeah, uh, apparently from the Kentucky mountains or something. Uh, uh, its name was Yahoo, so uh, or Tennessee mountains. That are all the same mountains. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's all, all the same, same area. All the same area. Yeah, all the same. they'll make moonshine. All the same family. Well, maybe a long time ago. <laughs> he said that, not me. Uh, <laughs> all the hate mail goes <laughs> to Anvil. <laughs> no one's listening in Kentucky anyway. So check the demographics. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah, we'll uh, get them there. I'd love to live in Kentucky. It's a nice state. It is a nice state. You know, it is a real nice state. Uh, did you know, um, nope, that's probably wrong information. I don't want to give out wrong information because I got it from some TV show, which could be completely inaccurate. But yeah. So, so disclaimer, this might be inaccurate information. This I thought might be the, false news. I thought the copper that came for pennies, because uh, Lincoln's on the penny, came from Kentucky. I thought I heard that. I don't know about that. Yeah. It's one of those little things that they're completely useless information. They don't have a copper mind. Um, Hmm. We'll have to research that now. Great. Another thing to look into. We have all the time in the world for that. We do. (laughs) That's another show. Uh, So what would you like to know about uh, Mr. Sasquatch? Scoogum. Other than what I saw when he fought Steve Austin. Oh, my gosh. That's um, my favorite episode ever. Uh... I don't know much more about that. I know no one's ever gotten a clear photo. He's been very blurry. Uh, he's been reported to be the hide-and-seek champion. Yes. Running for the last 80, 90 years. Um, he is he is the epitome of a cryptid. Because no one has ever, ever truly... they got footprints. They've got... Hair samples, I think. Yes, they do. On hair samples. Yes. Um, and what's interesting but about no one's yeah. no one's actually bagged bagged a bigfoot. Bag biggie foot. No, Daniel Boone said he did, which we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, the Daniel Boone, by the way. Daniel Boone. Yes. Well, I, I'm, saying, then, I'm, not, I'm making this up. I'm, I, actually, then, I've got the whole damn story written back down. Then, uh, <laughs> some of the women could have been. Yeah, they could have been. That's right. Could have been. No, no shave November lasted all year, <laughs> let me tell you. No such thing as hardwood floors back then, folks. Oh, no. <laughs> Probably shaggy carpet drapes, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Um, and speaking of hair samples, uh, bam, bam. What happened to our little noisemaker? That thing was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to need it for this show. For yeah. <laughs> Definitely going to need it. Right. There we go. Um, yeah, on the hair samples, here's an interesting thing. Now, the, the DNA strands that they have extracted um, from these hair samples, and this is really all over the United States at this point, um, it doesn't match anything known. It doesn't match human, although it's close. It doesn't match apes um, or chimpanzees, for that matter, or a bear or a horse or deer or anything of that nature. 
Um, it is an unknown hair sample. Does that mean it's a Bigfoot? Absolutely not. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is there at least another species out there um, that we have not identified. So that is factual. Um, and I thought that was interesting to throw that out there. You can't handle the truth. Uh, no, I can't. That, that's what my ex-wife told me. That's no, true. No, I can't. So, yeah, there are things out there we don't know. These yeah. Are... So, I thought I would start with some stories about Bigfoot and bore everyone to death. Um, I, I was going to do the Patterson film, but I think everyone's sick and tired of seeing the damn specials on TV about the Patterson film. The Patterson Giblin yeah. film from 1967. Uh, the one thing I will say is, and I really should have wrote this down, I, I think it was National Geographic. It may have been A&E. Uh, but one of the uh, networks um, spent a substantial amount of money um, doing a reenactment uh, of the Giblin film to the point where they actually went to the original location by helicopter, set up lasers to measure the ground, and just so they get, you know, 3D geographic computer generated this, that, and the other thing. They actually hired an actor. Um, and taught them to try and walk the way the creature walks. And they spent a lot of money, and they had electrodes all hooked to this guy. Um, but th they took it one step further than nobody had ever done before, and I literally mean nobody. Uh, they went to uh, his uh, wife, who was still alive. I don't know if she's still alive now, uh, but at the time she was. And she actually had the uh, original uh, video, 8mm uh, I think it was, locked up right in a safe and no one had ever touched it before so every version you had seen before then is like 10 billionth copies so all kind of kind of details are lost so they were able to go through that frame by frame and if you watch the documentary and the special on it i'm not going to ruin it for you but you're going to see details that were never seen before it obviously is not a person in the suit it would be a female by the way it's obviously not that um but the details are just absolutely astounding uh, it is a real creature, in my opinion, by any shadow of a doubt. Um, so take a look at it when you can. It's either A&E or the Discovery Channel or uh, Skyfi Channel. One of them did a, a lot of money. Uh, National Geographic, one of them, put a lot of money into it, and it's just very well done. Well, very well researched. Although I will say that Bigfoot and Sasquatch and, and that kind of thing is the new, I think it's the new f focus in paranormal. It could be. You see a lot of shows coming out now. Some are kind of, some are out there. The, the one where they're we're going to kill a book, Bigfoot or something. <laughs> yes. But uh, there's a new one coming out. I just saw this. I saw this last week, week or two ago, and uh, I think the first person on it is uh, Rob Lowe. Yes, and actually had a Sasquatch encounter. And he Sasquatch almost killed him and his son. And I think I don't think that's the name of the the. No, it's Rob Show. Lowe's discoveries. Or, killed me. Or, yeah, but, yeah. But it's going to be these celebrities that have had encounters. Yep. Other than ghost encounters. Yeah. And I could say, I think I think uh, cryptids and uh, this kind of thing is going to be the new the new ghost hunting fad. Well, you know, I and, actually... And paranormal. I should have brought down my all my coats and my, my hats and my shirts. I actually wasn't a pilot TV show. I don't know That's if right. you know this. I really was. Uh, and it was, it, what the heck was it called? <laughs> I can't even remember now. It was so long ago. But I even got Heather into it, you know, and she, she was a walk-on as well. Um, we, we played more of a, a role, though. We weren't walk-ons at that point. We were key players. Um, and it was really well not done <laughs> at all. Good. It was bad. It was faked, and it was bad. Um, and uh, I'm glad it did not go anywhere. Um, actually, we uh, had Tom Biscardi on the show, which is a very well-known, quote, Bigfoot hunter. He calls himself the Bigfoot hunter. Uh, he's put a lot of documentaries out there. You're going to see him on Netflix. All I'm going to say is take him with a grain of salt. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Tom is a, he's a showman. I'll give him that. He's got the ego of the size of a house, but he is a showman. So I, I don't want to bash the gentleman. Uh, but uh, he was something to work with. Uh, gigantic ego. Huge, really big, yeah. Really big, really big, really, really, shoe. really big. Shoe. Yeah. So, um, abnormal species hunters. That was the name of the show. Abnormal species hunters. And on the internet somewhere, under another title, you may find clips of it. God, I hope you don't. But it's on there. Okay. So, getting on to the Patterson film, 
Uh, well, we did that, so we talked about that. So I'm going to show you some stories that I've never seen in a documentary before. I have my own as well. Um, you've heard them in the show before, but I also had eyewitnesses uh, tell me reports as well, because that's one of the things I do. But this one I really found interesting. Uh, this is coming from a, uh, an Indian, by the way, uh, American Indian. Uh, he was talking about his grandfather <clears throat> uh, was born in Upper California, as he called it, uh, near the mountain called Shatsta. Uh, this was in the year 1853. Uh, he fought in the Modic Indian Wars of 1872 to 1873 in defense of his homeland. However, it was the same old story, defeat and being sent to an Indian reservation. His grandfather did not like the man, white man's reservation, however, and soon returned to the part of the country he loved. Uh, by some very good luck and help of a white friend in Eureka, California, he was able to buy some land near Tolika up in the mountains. I have no idea where this place is. I'm just reading. He had built a cabin there, and he lived there from then until his death. He died in 1935, so obviously this story is very old. He fell asleep on the river bank and never awakened again. Grandfather lived a long and eventful life, but not always a happy one. Well, join the club. He told me this story as a child, and he never tired. I never tired of hearing it. His first contact with Sasquatches on the evening of the summer of 1897. He was walking along a deer trail near a lake just about dusk when he saw up ahead something that looked like a tall bush. Upon coming a little closer, he became aware of a strong odor. My God, <laughs> sort of musky. God, give me strength. He gave me a close. He gave. He gave a close look at the bush and suddenly realized, "Is this your wife? wife?" Exactly. <laughs> and suddenly realized it was not a bush at all, for it was covered from head to foot with thick, coarse hair, much like horse hair. He took a step closer, but the creature made a sound that sounded like "nay." I don't think I'm doing that right. Grandfather knew that this was a man of the mountain the old one spoke about, a Sasquatch. It was growing darker. Grandfather was able to see quite clearly, uh, clearly two soft brown eyes through the hairy part. When he returned, creature moved slightly, <clears throat> and Grandfather made a notion of friendship and laid down the string of fish they had been carrying. The creature event eventually understood this and quickly snapped up the fish and struck out through the timber nearby. So it basically took off, took the guy's food and said, screw you, I'm out of here. <clears throat> Grandfather never told anyone outside the story, uh, out the family the story. He called them people. He referred them as people called Mata Kagmai. Now, here's something that's most interesting, uh, and it could be doubtful that by chance that there's a connection here, but uh, the Himalayan people called their bottomless snowman Muta Kagmai. Uh, so the last part is the same between the two different Indian species on, um, you know, opposite mm -hmm. ends of the planet, which is kind of fascinating. Um, only a few weeks after his encounter with the Matai Kagmai, he was awakened one morning by some strange noises outside his cabin. Upon investigating, he found a stack of deer skins fresh and ready for tanning. Off in the distance, he heard a strange sound once again. After this, there were other items left from time to time, such as wood for fuel, acorns, wild berries, and fruits. So apparently, according to this story, the Sasquatch was showing his uh, appreciation uh, for the fish um, that the, uh, the old Indian had given him. Um, it's kind of long-winded. He saw him again. Um, I'm not going to go into that. We'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> a lot of details. Uh, now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Teddy Roosevelt wrote a book in 1892 called The Wilderness Hunter. You know who Teddy Roosevelt was, by the way? Yeah, he was one of our presidents. Uh, yes, he was. Yes, he, yes, he was. He was a Rough Rider. Yes, he was. That's right. He, he was, was one of the uh, Rough Riders. Spanish American yeah. War. Yeah. Uh, he actually, I think he did some stuff in Cuba at one point, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so interesting, interesting. Um, so uh, the reason I bring up uh, his book, Teddy Roosevelt, former president of the United States, um, he actually wrote a story about a gentleman um, that uh, had a Sasquatch encounter. It was a trapper. Uh, it was an, him and his partner, actually. 
So I'll go into that a little here. Um, basically what had happened, they were trapping in a very remote part of Canada, if I remember correctly. I didn't write the story down, uh, which is really kind of fascinating. I would bring it up and then not remember to write it down. But I do know the trapper's name. His name was uh, Bowman. Well, Bowman and his partner had set up all these traps around this lake out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, to trap whatever they were trapping, which would be what in a lake? Uh, beaver. Beaver, yes. Beaver traps. Thank you. Because you could sell the pelts or something, right? Um, you sometimes do. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. The Indians are some shit. I don't know. But anyway, so this is what they were doing. Uh, so one day, they, after they came back from the lake, they went to their camp. And uh, their camp was all in disarray. You know, things have been moved, uh, some of the food they gotten into, the dry stocks, uh, and there was really big footprints all around the, the campsite. So obviously someone was there. Um, they had thought at first perhaps it was some kind of weird bear, uh, <laughs> but the prints didn't match a bear. So they didn't quite make know what to make of this. Uh, so that night uh, they were uh, trying to sleep and they could hear something out in the woods uh, very close to the campsite, which really kind of freaked them out. Uh, they were up the whole night building the fire larger and larger to keep whatever it was. These monstrous screams are going off in the woods, which I've heard in my own uh, my own life, so I can tell you how scared you can get um, very fast because it ri- ri- just rivets through your whole body. It, 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 the sound wave, it's just incredible. Uh, but this is what was going on there, all, all these screams and, you know, rocks were being thrown at the fire, that kind of stuff. So the next morning they decided that's it, you know, they're getting out of there. So Bowman went down to the lake area to grab all the traps they could. And his partner stayed behind to get everything all, you know, put together for the camp. Well, when Bowman came back to the camp, he was calling to his partner, didn't see him anywhere. Well, he found him a little ways away from the camp, but his neck snapped. And his gun was only a few feet from him. So whatever it was happened quite quickly. They grabbed him, snapped his neck, and he didn't have the time to fire off a shot. So Bowman got freaked out by that. He did not take any time to pack anything up. He jumped on his horse, uh, grabbed his rifle, and he was out of there. Um, and uh, that is the story that uh, Teddy Roosevelt basically writes about. And you can read the full account in the book eighteen uh, was written in 1892 called The Wilderness Hunter by Teddy Roosevelt. Um, <laughs> so uh, that is the story. Uh, that involved uh, the Teddy Roosevelt told, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the first recorded story I know from white people that, uh, you know, somebody was killed by a Sasquatch. Indian legends well, are filled with it. but Presumed. Yeah, presumed. Presumed. Yeah, we don't know. We didn't see, you know, we saw. And Teddy Roosevelt did get this secondhand story, so he's not, he didn't hear it from Bowman himself. So, who knows? Yeah, true. True. So, now, Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone. Yes. Um, actually said he shot a Bigfoot. Not making this up, folks. Uh, and just so you know, this happened in Kentucky, if I remember correctly. And in Kentucky, uh, the Bigfoot uh, by the Indians were called Yahoos. Yep. Not not spelled the way that you hear Yahoo.com, but Yahoos. Yahoo. Um, yeah. Um, Yahoo is the allegory. Quinian Indian word for Sasquatch, which means wild man. Um, and it actually appears in uh, Jonathan Swift's novel, Gulliver's Travels from 1726. Yahoos were a race of brutish creatures resembling men, but were very large and covered in hair. So this I did not know until today, by the way. That was a shocker to me. Boone, in his memoirs, wrote of shooting and killing a 10-foot-tall hairy yahoo in 1782 in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, along what is now the Montgomery and Powell County County border of Kentucky. So when I said it was Kentucky earlier, I was right. It was in Tennessee. (coughs) All right. Daniel Boone was making his way through the Kentucky wilderness when he stopped at a cave to rest up for a few nights. On the morning of the second day, Boone was squatting next to a nearby creek performing his daily alibations. Which I'd imagine he was taking a... Sh- <clears throat> when a deer came bounding out of the bro- bush... Huh, bush again. Narrowly missing Boone as it flew through the air. Boone raised up his long rifle and shot and killed a 10-foot yahoo that was apparently chasing the deer. This was Boone's second sighting of a yahoo. 
The night before, Boone was awakened by a falling tree while sleeping in the cave. That same night, he observed this huge creature looming over him, its large figure blotting out the moon and the stars in the sky. It smelled at his provisions and him. Mm-hmm. So it was checking out his food and him. Maybe he was thinking he was a dinner or something. Um, and what's interesting about the story with Daniel Boone is, and chasing, you know, the deer coming out, uh, it actually adds a little credibility to the story because uh, there are a lot of modern day stories of hunters witnessing the same thing. They'll, they see a flock of deer come flying in the woods, like totally scared. And they're like, what's chasing them? And then a few seconds later, they, they see a hairy giant flying through the woods faster than a deer is just about to catch him. Um, by the way, these Sasquatch things are really, really fast. If you ever like see any reports or listen to any hunter reports or see a documentary and hunters are talking about what they've seen, and there's a lot of them out there, by the way, um, you get a sense of ninja-like reflexes on these things for as large as they are. They can move extremely fast. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So you have a you know thousand pound creature or eight hundred pound creature that's eight to ten feet tall that can move like a banshee through the woods apparently, you know. Um, the boogeyman. Baba Yaga. Yes. It's yeah. Russian. Yeah. Well, in America, um, the boogeyman has some roots. Okay. That'd be um, thing. What's that? That'd be swamp thing. That'd be swamp thing. Yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> I'm always telling the seven-year-old, if he goes out at night or out in the woods by himself, the boogeyman will get him. Um, And there's some truth to this. So we're going to take you back. We're going to take you way back to the year 1875. And I'm going to tell you a story here, and this is from somebody else's point of view, obviously. When I was a child in North Carolina, I was told to be careful about being out in the dark because the boogeyman might get me. That he gets misbehaving children, which I remember inquiring about from the adults on the day about this dreadful boogeyman, most of whom responded there was no such thing. Although I remember my Aunt Emma had warned me about the boogeyman, tell me she knew someone who had seen him, which naturally piqued my interest about the nemesis of children, prompted me to inquire what he looked like. I was told he was covered in black hair, and you could not see him in the dark. She added that he would steal children who were out at night, which I half viewed skeptically as something to scare me in order to keep me around the house after dark. But the other half worried me that the boogeyman was real. There are old newspaper articles from the 1800s and early 1900s of children being abducted by these hairy beasts besides numerous Native American tales of them stealing and eating children, which is very, very true, by the way. It's filled with this. Um, Not just eating the children, but stealing the women as well. Uh, reported in North Carolina newspaper, uh, the Newburn Weekly Journal of Commerce, August 21st, 1875, a man working out in the field heard screams and is able to intercept a Sasquatch running from his home carrying off two small children, one under each arm. When he took the creature by surprise and struck it, the Sasquatch let go of the children and fled. <clears throat> it caught, created a deal, great deal of excitement and fear that prevailed throughout the land in that area at the time. <clears throat> well, that's actually the whole thing. If we go to skip over that. Yeah. <clears throat> There's another story here from 17, or 1976, actually. Um, and this is from the San Antonio Star. Mountain men armed with rifles, shotguns, and CB radios, or CB radios, you remember those? are stalking the rugged hills of Tennessee in search of a creature that tried to grab a young boy. And local people in Lincoln, Shelby, and Tipton counties reported similar sightings over the past three years of a creature described as a hairy, eight-foot-tall monster that screams. The star visited the hills of the Appalachian Mountains where the boy's mother was. I'm just a country girl, but I know what I saw, said Mrs. Robinson, 27, in her cabin home. It was about 9 o'clock in the evening, and Gary had walked out the back door after supper. I was standing just behind him when I heard him cry out. I rushed out the door, and I saw this huge figure coming around the corner of the house. It was 7 to 8 feet tall and seemed to be covered all in hair. reached out one of his long, hairy arms towards Gary and came within a few inches of him. True story. Uh, And that's just one of many, many, many. 
Do you have any questions? I have no words. To, <laughs> no words. No words. I wow. Yeah, you um, know, and here's there's a really famous abduction actually, or missing children's report actually from 1967, and it's in exactly the same area. Uh, it, a six-year-old boy named Dennis Martin actually ended up disappearing on this very same area in 1967, um, and that story has been extremely well documented. Uh, this happened on June 14th, 1969, uh, Father's Day weekend. The boy's family is out camping on a hiking trip in the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, again, this is uh, on an Appalachian Trail head known as the Spencer Field, which is located on the Tennessee-North Carolina border between Blount County and Swain County. Uh, as the adults were uh, setting out, sitting on the grass, uh, the older brother and I think two of his cousins and uh, the younger one all thought it would be kind of funny. You know, to kind of go off in the woods in separate directions to come back and try and scare the parents. They were sitting in the field. So that's what they did. Uh, the young boy, the six-year-old, now why would you leave a six-year-old without anybody with you is beyond me. Uh, but this is a true story. This is what happened. This is a make-believe. Uh, he had a really bright red uh, overcoat type of thing on, like a windbreaker. So they didn't want him to uh, be with the other boys. They might... Yeah, yeah, they might be giving away in the bushes. So he went out on his own. Now, they were really close. They were only supposed to go, like, you know, 50 feet away and then come back. Well, the boys did their part. They jumped out, scared the parents. And, of course, the father then asked, you know, where the six-year-old Daniel was. And they're like, the boys thought you'd be right here. So they started yelling for him, and he didn't respond. So then the father and the grandfather got up, and they started yelling for him. And then the panic started to set in. They all started hiking in different directions. Um, it wasn't very long after that that they contacted the um, Forest Rangers. Uh, the Forest Rangers then uh, got involved, obviously, uh, with the efforts on the same day, um, and along with the sheriff. Um, it quickly, quickly from there, uh, grew into hundreds of people scouring the area, including park rangers, locals, volunteers, the FBI, uh, a few days later, the National Guard, and then even after that, Green Berets. And even psychics, not making this up, psychics were brought in to try and find a kid. But the Green Berets were the, the, the focal and key point for me on this because um, normally you wouldn't have special forces partake in any type of operation like this in a search and rescue for a child. Uh, that has never happened before in my knowledge. And I did look today. I tried to find anything in correlating this, and it never happened. But the Green Berets were put at the scene. Um, they had a separate camp, and they did not share information with the FBI or National Guard, as far as we know. They definitely didn't share anything with the sheriff. Uh, just interesting little facts that make this a really screwy story. Uh, bloodhounds were brought in, helicopters. Uh, and the thing about the bloodhounds was uh, they would pick up a scent, but they refused to go any further. Uh, they would lay down. They're scared of something, um, and they would not uh, go any further in. Hmm. on that uh, another interesting fact about the green berets is they were armed um which again unless there's a crisis they're not allowed to be armed um in the united states a lot of people don't know that um, unless they're on maneuvers and specially designated maneuver areas uh, the army cannot carry weapons that are actively loaded and live uh throughout the streets of america that is against the law um, so that was kind of interesting that they were fully loaded. They were ready for operations uh, on American soil. Um, you know, and here's the thing. It, the Green Berets, uh, like Delta Force and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. these are highly, highly the elites of the elites, you know, special forces that we have in this country. Um, and they are trained for all kinds of different uh, scenarios. And one of them, obviously, is to hunt down terrorists, especially today. Uh, and very rocky terrains and, you know, different, you know. And for the Green Berets not to find even a shred of evidence of this little boy, it's really kind of crazy if you think about it. They didn't find anything. No footprints were found. The, the red coat was never found. And this is the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is the Appalachian Trail. So it's not like there's, you know, a guy driving around in a car taking a kid off the street. This is a much different scenario. Um there were, you know, they had professional trackers in there. They couldn't locate the kid. Um, to this day, to this day, nothing's been found of this little boy. And now the reason I brought this story into the Sasquatch thing is because it's in the same area that we know a kid was almost abducted, you know, 10 years after the fact. 
okay, 1976, I think it was, by a Sasquatch, or at least a Sasquatch grabbed for him anyway, according to the mother. Another interesting thing about this, there is a witness, a witness family that saw what they said looked like a bear at first behind some bushes. Now, this is a good nine miles away from the scene, but it's like a day after. And they were camping, and they saw what looked like some kind of creature or a mountain man covering hair, and they thought it was a bear at first behind a bush, and it had something on its back. And they thought they saw some kind of red material on whatever was on its back. And then it shot off into the woods. Um, and they heard screams of a young child, a young boy, and then the screams stopped. That is pretty spooky, scary stuff. And this is all factual data. And again, you know, there's FBI files for this and all that other jazz. Uh, this, this stuff really happened. Um, to this day, um, the father, he's still alive, obviously, a much older man. Um, he won't talk about it. I do know one researcher. I'm not going to mention the guy's name. Uh, he's written a bunch of books. Um, but he's, he is probably, he's a former uh, police detective, uh, murder detective, so the guy knows his stuff. Uh, but uh, he did was able to get an interview with the father, and the father told him details that had never been released before. Um, and it kind of correlates, you know, what I just read here, you know, about the Green Berets and that kind of thing. There was a separate operation going on, <clears throat> you know, in regards to this little boy, you know, and kind of drives up a lot of questions. You know, why was the American military uh, so interested so what year again was this? Uh, this was 1967. 67. Yeah, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> um, no, 69, I'm sorry. 1969, 69. yeah. So it was two years after the Patterson film. And, of course, on the other side of the country. <clears throat> yeah. You know what time it is, by the way? It is shot time. And what do we have tonight, sir? Tonight we've got... Butterscotch schnapps, courtesy of Mr. Boston. Oh, all right. I think we shall pour these into our glasses. And we have these really cool glasses, uh, shot glasses now, that uh, Mr. Andrew was able to acquire. You want the one with more in it. Take the one, that's the one that has more in it. Can you see the, the uh, label? Okay. All right. So, sir, as is always, here is to swimming. Oh, you women. Bill women. That's right. You know what? That's pretty damn good. Yeah, that could be dangerous. Woo, that's good stuff. That, that is the stuff that. I could drink, 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 and not think twice about it. Holy jumping Jesus. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, that was an interesting story. Yeah, Sasquatch. Um, did I ever tell you the cool stuff about the footprints of Sasquatches all across the country? Not just the country, but the I know world. that's the most common form of evidence. Yes. Other than blurry photos. Right. Well, here's a really cool thing about of the Sasquatch cast. And I remember being a little boy. I still lived in Apple Lake at the time, so it's before I moved. I had to be about 12 years old. And I was really big into Sasquatch as a kid. And uh, I had the National Choir. And, you know, you know, Bigfoot proven real. So I had to, I had to buy that. Oh, hey, mommy, yeah. dad, at 50. You know, I had yeah. to buy it. Oh, you yeah. know? So I was a little Cartman. I had to have it. So, please, mom. You know, so I got it. Um, but when I got home, it was a doctor, some doctor in there, and he's long dead, I'm sure now, but he claimed that the um, the lines on the feet, you know, like the lines in your hand and the, mm -hmm. the lines on your finger, which are called fingerprints, obviously, um, they're also on your feet. They're unique. Uh, no two are the same. Uh, dermal ridges, they're called. And he said you could see the dermal ridges in a lot of the casts, which proved that these creatures were real because you can't fake dermal ridges. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. I was kind of like, that makes sense to me, you know. But it wasn't until modern day, and I would say maybe five years ago, six years ago, maybe a little more than that, maybe eight now, um, that the dermal ridges really came roaring back with today's technology because um, they can study them so much more closer, nice. you know, and there's so many more you know, techniques they can use with today's modern technology. And, and they are right. Uh, the dermal ridges are in the cast. And what's really just fascinating about those is none 
two are alike. You know, you can have a cast in Northern California and you get one in Pennsylvania and the dermal ridges are completely different. But they all flow in the same direction. Even though the pattern's different with the, as it should be, they all flow the same way. Uh, meaning that, um, just like in a human foot, the dermal ridges are going to flow in the same route, the same way. Um, so, and these casts now, you know, a lot of these are from the 60s. You know, now we're not talking about modern ones. You can go back to the 60s, and again, the dermal ridges flow in the same way, right. and they're all different. So, if this was a hoax, okay, you would have to have... Someone, someone would have screwed it up by now. Not, not only that, but they would have had that so planned out, right. you know, fit, literally almost 50 years ago now. You know, or we're going to have, you know, X amount of people across the country and we're going to fake prints and they all got to flow in the same way. It's all these little details. It's not overwhelming evidence, but what it is, it's the circumstantial evidence that adds to the argument that these things are real. You know, you can't fake the dermal ridges. You probably can. You never say you can't. There's always a way to do stuff. But for the most part, you didn't think about doing it 50 years ago. Put it that way. You weren't thinking about training, you know, to fake a dermal ridge. Um, another thing, cool thing about some of the casts they found, uh, one particular one, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Mulberm is his name, and I cannot remember where he is a professor at at some university, and I just can't remember where, but uh, he is probably the, the, the collector of the most casts in the United States, and he actually found casts where you can see uh, the Sasquatch is wounded by the way it was walking. You know, he is, you know, he studies anthropology. You know, that's his field uh, and the locomotion of apes and chimpanzees and, you know, Homo erectus mm -hmm. and all of that. So he's an expert in that field and he can tell um, that the creature that, at least from one particular set of casts, was injured, that it had some kind of foot problems or leg problems. Um, just really, really cool, fascinating stuff that you learn from people who really know what they're looking at. So the question for me... Yes. And again, this is more your end of the paranormal spectrum than mine. But we've yet to actually get a good shot at one. Or <laughs> We don't want to shoot one. Well, not shot with a gun, <laughs> but a camera shot, a video shot. Uh, you know, found their lair, found where they're... Uh, I made the joke earlier that this is the hide-and-seek champion of the world for, for decades. Where Where are they? Yeah. Where are they? As, as much as we encroach on everything else's habitat, how has is, how is this creature stayed so far off the radar that we're, we're more likely to believe in UFOs and ghosts than we are this creature? Well, a lot of researchers call it the, the tree peaker. Uh, because they peek around trees at humans. Uh, they're, they're Unless he's in the Sequoia National Forest, <laughs> this thing's bigger than most trees. True. Uh, it's like some other cartoon where they stand well, sideways and you, you know, still see them. Well, the thing is, uh, and you know, I, I don't know. I don't I, that's what I'm just saying. I just, right. I'm not saying they don't exist. I think it's kind of cool to do it. But it's just, and now I'm listening to some of your stuff where they're, they're stealing children and. Well, there's a book called and things like that. I don't... 411. I think it's 411. Not 911. It's called 411. And the, the author is David Polias, I believe. And he's actually the police investigator. Um, and he actually combined, took all the data. He spent years doing this from all the missing children and, and missing people in national forests. And then he started coordinating that with Sasquatch sightings. And it paints a pretty scary picture. I read some of his stuff. I think the first one you should read is 411, um, and it's just a great read. It's uh, filled with factual data that will just blow your mind. I'm already blown. I'm yeah. just, I'm again, I'm trying to, you know, I used to be out in the woods all the time. It's not, not in the Appalachian Mountains, but right. we go camping locally and go out in the woods, and, and I wasn't six like that kid in the red jacket, but I was young. We were 10, 12, 8. Yeah. And out in the state parks and going out in the freaking woods and, you know, wander a half hour away. And <laughs> come, you know, I, to, to think now that, you know, there was something out there. I, uh, I took a report. Well, I was an ugly kid, you know what I'm saying? I took a report from one hunter, um, and I'm not going to use his name, total confidence. 
Um, this was in the state of uh, southern, uh, southern Pennsylvania, close to the Ohio border. And uh, he was out hunting. Uh, you know, it was deer season. He was out doing his deer hunting. And uh, he had heard something off to his left. It was just about daybreak. And uh, he didn't know what it was. And he thought maybe it was a deer walking through. So he got real quiet, sat down, set himself up. And then he got hit by a rock in the top of the head. And he's in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, all right, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. What can throw rocks? There's only one species that we know of on the planet <laughs> that can throw rocks. That In North America, anyway, and that's human beings. I'm sure monkeys can do it. Well, they throw poop. Yeah. So get hit with poop. Yeah. It's okay. It's a yeah. big monkey, <laughs> right. not big But this, this but. was a rock. But... In the wild, great apes and that kind of thing will mark the terry by, territory by throwing rocks and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and he got hit by another rock. So he decided it was time to leave. Even though he was well-armed, Yeah. Um, he started to move out of the woods, and whatever it was was shadowing him in the woods. He would take a couple of stop, uh, steps, and he would stop, and this creature would stop. He'd start up again, the creature would start up again. And it, it matched his movements, you know, movement for movement. Um, he became extremely um, afraid. Um, he never actually saw it, but when he got close to a vehicle, he heard th there was a scream that just shook his insides. And I know what he's talking about because that happened to me. I know what it's like. Um, and he almost dropped his gun. He was so scared. Like he, when he got in his truck, he tried to put the keys in. He couldn't even get the keys. And you see it in a movie. He laughed about it. He's like, you see it in the movie where you drop your keys. You know, you watch the movie, they're dropping their keys. You're like, oh my God, how you drop your keys? You're about to die. And that's what he did. He dropped his damn keys on the floor and he's trying to get the keys up so he get the damn key in the ignition. He was that freaked out. Um, he has never hunted again because of that one experience. True story. I couldn't believe that. You know, and he never even saw it, but he got hit with two rocks and that was enough for him. And then the scream, obviously, was the, uh, the, the, the icing on the cake. Yeah, probably do that. Although, I will tell you, that's a universal rule across all paranormal investigating, is if you get hit with a rock, leave. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ghost hunting in your house, and you get hit with a rock, and no one else is around, leave. Yeah. You're out in the woods, get hit with a rock, no one's around, leave. And it's another, actually, the, the rock throwing is another well-known um, thing that these, these creatures apparently do. They, they throw rocks at people that they don't want them in their territory. Um, if you're being hit by, there's a point right here, in, uh, a place right in here in New York, um, and of course I can't think of the name of it, but it's on a lake in New York State here, um, and it's well known for this type of behavior. Um, the mountain, it's a very mountainous, it's part of the Adirondack Mountains, um, but this particular area, uh, hikers, literally, I, I've probably heard over 20 cases so far of hikers talking about being rocks being thrown at them, you know, in this particular area, and footprints have been found in this area. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, actually, it's not that far from Will's cabin. His family went to cabin up in the Adirondacks, you know, which we may have an investigation there someday. You know, me and Will have okay. talked about it, which would be kind of cool, you know. Adirondacks. Here again, as a, as, a, as a young boy, young boy, our next door neighbors had a cabin up in the Adirondacks. Wow. And we would go up with my dad and my family all the time. But in this place... When we first started going up there, this place was out in the wilderness. The original, the original building that we used to stay in was an old fishing shack. <laughs> cool. That they would, it was for ice fishing. You'd be able to slide it out, there, but we would stay in this thing. You would have to park about a mile away and trek in. It wasn't cleared out yet, and I remember many summers up there. You know, watch my my dad and my neighbor and clearing out the space. They finally got a nice double wide home up there and things like mm -hmm. this. It was right in the lake, but uh, yeah. Now I'm kind of freaking out that <laughs> I'm still alive because again, this was a thing. You know, get up there, jump in the canoe, head out across the lake, go go hiking up miles away from where the camp was by myself. Right. In my you know, Red Rider, I was good. But, you know, you just, it's just crazy to think about now that, fork me, you know, this is, yeah. this could be, 
Well, upload quick. Well, that's why I I used to go I used to go every two weeks. I'd go out for the weekend. I'd camp um, in different areas in New York State where uh, Sasquatch have been reported, um, and I would try to get recordings and that kind of thing. And that's what I used to do. I used to do it all the time. Every two weekends I was out. And uh, when I started doing the research into the missing people in the national parks and the state forest and and then the correlation with the Sasquatch sightings, I didn't do that no more. Um, I always started, I started taking dogs with me, uh, you know, or at least one other person. And I was always fully loaded. I was always fully armed after that, too. Um, not because I'm trying to kill anything, but I'm not going to be a chicken wing for something. It's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll frequent your mind a little, you know. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and then you hear stories like that, and you did it all when you were a kid. I used to do the same thing, run through the woods all the time. Well, we lived on a dead-end road, and all there was was forest next to us. You well, know? I know we would go up in the wintertime sometimes, which yeah. was always pleasant. Up <laughs> when there was no indoor plumbing. You had to go outside right. to go to the bathroom. And I remember they used to screw with us. Right. It was me and the, the neighbor's son was a few years older than me. But, you know, all of a sudden... They're banging on the side of the, the <laughs> thing we're living in, right? And we're like, ah, yeah. So, and it was, yeah, there's, oh, it's a big one. Crazy. That's just not, I'm hearing this. I'm glad I didn't know these things. Yeah, well, see, yeah, exactly. But people should know, you know, and I, I say this as a warning to everybody. I do not, when I take the kids camping and Heather camping, we go camping as a family, the kids are never out of my sight. And just because of that research I've done into it, uh, I'm not taking any chances um, whatsoever. Um, you know, I make sure the oldest boy has a, at least a knife on him. You know, if I'm not with him directly, we have walkie-talkies to stay in constant communication. And they're high quality. I spent $800 a piece on these walkie-talkies. They're not cheap. Actually, they're right in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're really high-dollar ones. Uh, but, yeah, uh, true stories, man. People disappearing and Sasquatch sightings all over the place. And, you know, who knows? You know, I don't know if they're... If it's female Sasquatches taking children, you know, as a substitute for the children they lost, or if it's more sinister when well, they're eating. But what would happen to them? Well, Not that, like the eating. I, right. the eating, I know it's I would, with the eating thing. But eventually they would like die, the, I would imagine. Thing. They would have to die. I don't think they could survive in the harsh conditions, you know, some of these places. I don't just think it's possible for a human child. Uh, I could be wrong, you know. I could be wrong about that. Um, but who knows? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I got so many stories about these things that people have told me. It's mind-boggling. It literally is. And I, I just think of all the different stuff I've been told and heard and people reported to me. I'd, gosh, there's, I got to be careful what I say because I don't want to give anyone away. You know, and uh, when I take a report, it's always confidential and I, I don't mm-hmm. like to share any personal information. But uh, this one gentleman I know very well was coming back from doing some work. Uh, in another state, him and his wife, um, they were transporting uh, generators. Um, they were back from dropping off a generator. Um, and they were in North Carolina, which, again, we were just talking about North Carolina. Um, they were in North Carolina, and they were coming off the exit on the highway. It was about midnight, and they were going to get something to eat. Um, as they were going up on the ramp, you know, come off the highway, you got one of those turns. It was more off the highway. It wasn't the main highway. It was working with those side highways. Like, you know, around here we feel like Route 11, mm-hmm. a little country-ish, but still considered a highway. It was kind of like that, more of a route. And they were coming off of that, and uh, it was snowing out. And he was coming, so it was kind of coming kind of slow. He had a big truck. And out in front of him, he slammed on the brakes, crossed the road within two strides, one, two, was a at least eight-foot-tall creature covering hair in his headlights. And he could not believe what he was seeing. Um, he said when it was walking, he could see the back of the hand. So the hand would like the one hand on the, the side that was facing closest to him would turn because it was down close to its knees. And there was no hair on the back of the hand. But the rest of the, the arm and hand, all the hair. He didn't see the creature's full face. He saw the side of the face. The face was covered with hair. But the earlobes were not. He could see one of the earlobes on the side. It had almost like a cone head, but not quite. And when it went up the incline, which was like, you know, it was like a 90-degree incline. It was really... It just walked up like it was nothing, like where a human would have to definitely get down on the floor to crawl up it. This thing started walking right up with no problem. And he said in the headlights, you know, because he turned his truck a little towards it at that point, you know, he moved mm-hmm. forward, you could see it better. You could see the muscles rippling in its back. And he goes to back, you could take two of the biggest football players here and put them together. And this thing was like 
you know, he took his hand like this, and it was at least six feet, seven feet across. That's how big the back was. And you can see the muscles just rippling through this thing. It had to be at least eight feet tall, if nine feet tall, he said. It was just gigantic. And it went up the mountain, and that was it. And his wife was sitting next to him because she always, she's his partner, you know, uh, taking the generators. They take turns driving. And he goes, did you, did you just see that? And she goes, yes, I did. And he goes, that was no bear. And just so you know about this gentleman, I'm going to call him Tom. That's not his name, but I'm going to call him Tom. Um, Tom actually uh, helped stuff the largest ever shot grizzly bear in America. And he is an avid bear hunter. Um, he shot many black bear and grizzly bear himself. Um, so he knows exactly, by far better than I do, what a bear is. And when you hear that from someone who never believed in Sasquatch, you know, and don't want their name used, they don't want any publicity, um, and they have a second witness with them, um, those are the kind of ones you really take to, uh, in high, you know, you know, high value, a high value uh, report, if you will. Uh, since I know them personally, uh, it makes it even more value to me. Right. You know, I can vouch for their credibility. Um, but it, again, that's just one of many. I mean, like the stories I've heard. I gosh, there's one guy. This happened right in Binghamton, New York. Uh, the, not inside Binghamton, but the outskirts of what's considered Binghamton, town of Binghamton. the country. Yeah, mm-hmm. town of Binghamton, city of Binghamton, whatever. Um, back in the day, 20 years ago, 30 actually more, 30 years ago, um, this area wasn't really developed yet. It was on towards the mountaintop, and there was a pond up there that he used to go ice skating on. And him and his buddy, they were about eight years old, were going to go ice skating together. And he went out there, and uh, they saw a creature on the other side of the lake. And it wasn't a big lake, it was more like a pond. And it was on all fours at first, and then it got up, and it stood straight up like a man. And they said it had to be at least eight foot tall. Mm. And uh, it let out a, a blood-curling scream, and it scared the hell out of the two kids, and they ran off. Um, and there were footprints found in the snow. They went back with their fathers, and there were footprints found. Now, he has turned into a very serious Sasquatch investigator. He takes his vacations. He flies out to California, to the mountains of California, and uh, he actually does his own Sasquatch investigations. He actually saw a second Sasquatch. He actually saw three of them together swimming in a lake in California uh, up on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to give out the details where it was. He told me where it was. Um, but a uh, very credible person. Um, actually is related. Oh, can't say that. Very credible person. Um, and uh, But uh, he's given me a lot of details where to look in New York State, uh, where to look in California, and he's actually invited me out to California with him on one of his trips, which I'm going to take him up on <clears throat> to do an investigation out there, which I think would be really fascinating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just, again, one of many, one of many. Uh, these things are out there. People are seeing them. Hunters are seeing them. And hunters and police officers have seen them. Uh, there's one right here in, you know, Whitehall, New York. You know, and I met. And I think you met him, too. Yeah, I, yeah, met, I, met the, I met the damn police officer. And uh, uh, the sheriff collaborates. And a state trooper collaborates the story because they all saw it at the same time. Uh, they saw Sasquatch back in 76, I think it was, in Whitehall, New York. Um, and that is known as the Sasquatch Cap of New York, really, that area. In fact, there's a, a law in that area that uh, no Sasquatch can be hunted. Uh, it's on their little local uh, protective species list. And in California, by the way, true, Bigfoot is on the protective species list in California by the state of California. No joke. That is a fact. No, you, you actually, you're right. There, I, mean, I was looking up some stuff for the for tonight's show, not that I found a lot, but... There was actually, there's actually, I can't remember what the website is, but it gives you a list of states that have enacted laws to protect Sasquatch. Yep. Yep. So, again, obviously governments have given it status. Um, you gotta, again, I just, I find this interesting, I think. You know, I, I know I go some people think that's crazy. I think you're crazy going out in the woods looking for something <laughs> that has stayed hidden in that environment for at least a century or more. That's bigger than any biggest bear we've we've ever encountered. Yep. And 
I get you want to get evidence, and but I'm not sure what you're out there to get <laughs> other than killed. I the thing sounds like if it doesn't want to be seen, it's not gonna be seen. But it, the minute it's seen, it's almost like it knows it has to do something about that. Right. Well, I I would like to think um, that. I, I know they are. I, I can't say I'd like to think. And the reason I can say I know they are is that the ability to state is hidden this well. They're highly intelligent. They're not dummies. they got to be. You know, um, and they have a language. Uh, I Again, it, you don't have enough time to go into everything. There's only five minutes left. But Hunter stories where two hunters are together and they can hear these things talking back and forth. Uh, then they see what's talking. And it, it not, it's not English, obviously, but it's something. Um, there's a communication, a verbal communication between the species. So they have verbal skills. Um, they can use, they use whistling sounds to communicate to each other. They use wood knocking. Um, I know, again, I can't use any name. I can say the state because it's a big state. I can say the state of Oregon. I know a forest ranger in Oregon, female. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that part. But uh, sh- this person had their own encounter with a Sasquatch. You know, 15 years ago when they first got into the, the service, and uh, and she's not the only one. Uh, you know, she had related to me that in Oregon it's not talked about, but everybody knows. All law enforcement know these things are real. You know, especially in the in the, in the outer areas, the sheriffs know, most of the county mounties know, um, and the forest rangers definitely know in the state of Oregon. Um, and again, it's not something that's talked about. Um, they don't want people being afraid to go into the woods uh, for a small percentage. It's just like, you know, driving a car, you know, you can't be scared to drive a car. You know, bad things are going to happen no matter what. You, know, you can't be scared to go in the forest, you can be eaten very bare. I mean, you can't, I mean, I guess, I guess the the moral of the story is, <laughs> go ahead, you want to say something. Go, keep over there. Going, please keep going. Okay, well, you just don't know. You just don't, you, all right? You don't know what's out in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just when you say encounter, like they saw this or they came face to face, or yeah, they came within no, ten feet of the thing. He, he was twenty feet. The things were away. rock and they left, they didn't no, shoot back. No, no, they, twenty feet away. And she wasn't armed. She was just most of the time they're armed and she did you know, I wasn't armed this day. Does I was it out get aggressive with them? Does it not get does it turn tail? It wrong? makes them yes, because it was more than one. This particular thing was involved three. It was a family unit. And she was in their territory, and it was make they made her aware that she was to leave immediately. And they followed her all the way back. She actually, once her cell phone got in range, she called another fellow forest ranger to pick her up. That person drove out, and as soon as she got within about 150 yards, I believe she, what she said correctly, of the vehicle, they started letting out the screams. And it's like the final thing, like, get the hell out of here. Um, and the person in the car actually heard the screams as well. You know, and then... Mm. And she, uh, she now never goes in the woods not being armed. She did not lead the, the, her job. You know, she still does it, but she's much more aware of her surroundings. And she never believed in that stuff beforehand either. And that's the great, the, the key thing about this. Everyone that tells me a story or tells me their encounter never believed in it until it actually happens to them. And it makes you a believer overnight. Well, that's with anything in the paranormal field, Sasquatch, ghost hunting, whatever, until you actually have that experience you're you're always that cynical or disbelieving of it so. yep and uh i think we're about the time we have to say thank you diversity broadcasting, broadcasting network, network for having us on uh and there's a lot of great shows to check out on that network yes, there is. Uh, you can find us on our webpage at www you say it because you're better at this www.letstalkitall.com you can reach jeff at jeff at let's talk it all.com or anvil a-n-v-i-l-e at let's talk it all.com or if you just have general information don't worry we'll talk to either one of us particularly info at let's talk it all.com uh diversity broadcasting we are on friday nights 10 o'clock after the purple tie and they are entertaining as well uh, i was just listening towards the tail end of their broadcast uh, even though 10 o'clock is our slide of time we have been starting a little early okay. so if you don't want to miss out on a minute of our banter, you probably want to jump in probably 5 five, five or 10, 10 or 10. You're going to catch us. You're going to catch the, the boys in the purple tie. Either way, it's entertainment and enjoyable. And on that note, remember, look out for the bush because you never know what's in it. <laughs>